So this is the second in our current series. Last week, Paul did speak on why is it worth talking about Jesus. Funny how you can do words, isn't it? Because it should be why it is worth talking about Jesus. And just as a reminder, and just so that Paul knew I was listening and taking a little note, well, why is it worth talking about Jesus? It's significant. Probably the most significant event in history. When you look at what's been written about it, studied about it, and activities that have gone on following it. So it's significant. It's a privilege granted to followers of Jesus. It's done in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do it in our own strength. And it begins where you are. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to study. It begins absolutely where you are with Jesus. So then, if you've made a decision to be a follower of Jesus, then just like the church, you have a mission known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Now, I know Paul did say this last week. Lots of organizations have mission statements. And when I was preparing uh, for this talk, on the desk in our converted bedroom study, I suddenly saw, what do you call these? Cup mats. Coasters. Coasters. <laughs> and you can, and this, this really dates us. Because this is one for Northamptonshire Police, and I well remember not just this one, but lots of discussions within organisations about what's our mission? What is it we're supposed to be doing? And the church has been no different, but in these verses from Matthew, Jesus makes it absolutely clear we're supposed to share what it is Jesus first told the disciples way back then. Northamptonshire Police at the time was people who care about people. And again, the other not-so-good thing about mission statements is within organisations, people often look at it when the bosses have said, hey, people, this is what the mission statement is for this year. People who care about people, to which Joel in the back sits there and says, people... Who cares about people? Because <laughs> my job would be a whole lot easier if it wasn't for people. And that used to be said within Northamptonshire Police. Today's, because I went online to look, just, oh, I wonder what it is today. It's, I knew it had changed because it changed in my time. Fighting crime, protecting people. So mission statements generally try to incorporate or put into a few punchy lines just what is it we're about? And I think Jesus does it uh, better than anybody I've known since. And we're not to mess with the words that he put down there. But organizations don't fulfill mission. Just as I said there, when 
Staff got told about this. Some took it to heart, many didn't. And that's what happens in organizations. It's people in organizations that fulfill or carry out the mission. And not just one or two people, every person has a responsibility. And everyone has a role to play, and church is absolutely no different. Again, I'm not sure whether uh, Paul used this, this last week, but Billy Graham, who most of us will have heard of, I think he died earlier this year, was it last year? Billy Graham's probably one of the greatest evangelists of recent times, but said this, mass crusades in which I believe and to which I've committed my life will never finish the Great Commission, but a one-by-one ministry will. And it's at this point that all of our heads drop and we still think and hope and we certainly think, well, I'm no evangelist, so that counts me out of this part of the mission, mission statement. And we sit there and hope somebody else will rise up and do that sort of stuff. But today's message really is about a can-do attitude. We can. You probably are doing it, but you don't realize it. So today's talk's about how might we simply get better at talking Jesus in our homes, our family, our neighborhoods, and town. So the talk this week, living distinctively, and I don't want you to think that Ken is directing this message at you particularly, and then feel guilty because you've looked back over the last week and remembered those times when you didn't behave much like a Christian. You know that feeling? Like the time you downloaded the wrong voucher for the restaurant and your partner got snappy and you responded by being just as snappy. I mean, I did not need to be told that I'd got the wrong voucher and I could be missing out on 40% off. And I'll leave the or when to yourselves because I'm sure most, if not all, of you have got occasions where you think that wasn't exactly living distinctively as somebody trying to follow Jesus. No, it's not directed at you. It's as much talking to myself. But if it does challenge you and moves you to act, then that would be great too. What our message this morning really is focusing on is giving us some Bible pointers for sharing our faith or simply talking about Jesus. And it could easily have been called encouraging us to share our faith. So let's have a look at the main reading for today. It's from Colossians chapter 4, just a few verses. So Paul is speaking to the People in church just like ours, but in a place called Coloss, not Northampton. And he says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So three pointers. You're all glad that you didn't come to a six-pointer or a (laughs) ten-pointer. Three pointers. Pray it, live it, and speak it. So the first one, pray it. What does Paul say at the beginning? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. And again, you might sit there, heads down, oh, Ken, not another message on prayer. Because I feel feel really guilty, you know, whenever there's a prayer meeting or a prayer group, how is it that only small numbers, because we all know we should pray more than we do. So now it's not just about that, but it is pertinent because we're all slow on the uptake. Paul urges the people of the church into Coloss and in Coloss to devote ourselves to pray, literally to pray continuously. I don't know about you, but that that can be off-putting, but think about it. You know, you sit there and you've got thoughts going around in your head and somehow on some days or some occasions, maybe it's just about adjusting those thoughts and turning them towards God rather than whatever else they're in. So that praying continuously isn't impossible. And to be watchful and thankful. Now, to devote ourselves to prayer and be thankful is self-explanatory. They might be hard at times, but they generally speak for themselves. Being watchful maybe is a little bit, well, what's that all about? And I nearly went down a course during this message of, well, watching out for opportunities, isn't it? No, it's not that. That'll come later. It's being watchful in the sense of what Jesus tells us in Mark 13, verse 32, when Jesus tells his followers, including you and me, that not even he knows the time set for his return and for all of us to be judged. So be on our guard. Be alert and pray so as to avoid being sidetracked by the world, so as not to be put off by fear of embarrassment in talking about Jesus or fear of being different from other people. I mean, here we're already different to lots of our neighbours because we're in a really random place on a Sunday morning when some would say there's much better things to do but it's about not being embarrassed or thought oh, well I'll fall in with what the neighbours are doing or what general society is doing it's about being distinctive because the devil loves it when we fall in line with the mainstream so that's what Paul is urging us to be to be watchful in our habits, our routines, and the things that we do, that we don't uh, get distracted. And then Paul says, asks for prayer, that God might open a door for our message. Or in another translation, give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And what might that look like in practice? 
So what I'm saying is it's okay to pray generally. You know, God and Anne and I regularly pray this on the morning. God, get us ready for any opportunities that come up during the day to share your name, your word, and we're rubbish. Because having prayed it, what do we do? We get up and we get busy and we're really not tuned in to many of those opportunities. But that's what we pray, and that's okay. Because God's really brilliant. He will really bring some, well, the more than opportunities, the bang in front of your face that you can't help but share something of what you believe in. But we should also be specific in our prayers some of you know that I belong to the Gideons, and one of the things we still do is offer testaments in schools. Yes, seven. Any of the any youngsters or have they all gone? Anybody get a testament in school when you were little? Yeah, a few. We still do it. And here in Northampton, there are a number of schools who don't want us in. For a number of years, haven't allowed us in. And I'll tell you who they are, NSB, NSG, Abbey Fields, Northampton International Academy, Wootton Hall Park. Have any of you got any friends or influence in those? Speak to us. But there was one for a number of years, Kingsthorpe Academy, and we pray for all of those closed schools. The doors would open, literally. Kingsthorpe Academy was closed for a number of years, and guess what happened? And it was through a change of head, but... Who cares how God, God works? But we, after a long time of prayer, got back in. And we can pray for individuals too. Maybe somebody in your workplace, a neighbor or a family member. Now, Paul loves N.T. Wright. This isn't N.T. Wright. This is a story from the life of D.L. Moody, a renowned 19th century preacher evangelist, he prayed every day for 100 friends to come to know Christ. And during his life, and he died in his 60s, 96 of those friends gave their lives to Christ. And you think, well, what a disappointment. <laughs> Punchline, at his funeral, the four who hadn't yet given their lives to Christ did. Now, I, for one, haven't got that many friends. <clears throat> so my list could be a lot shorter. So if nothing else today, and just aside, let each of us to commit to praying. Steve will think, can you wimp? Because you know how Steve likes numbers. But I've said, if we can commit individually to pray for one person that we know over this coming week or weeks, what a difference that might make. So that's just one thing I want you to do from today's message. Commit to praying for one person that you know. So we should and can pray for opportunities and doors to be opened in our town, in our street, our workplaces, for anybody that we know that they might come to know Jesus. Then we have live it. 
So Paul then says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. And elsewhere, Paul in his second letter to Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 tells us, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, if you think on that, that sounds like a really onerous, heavy responsibility. Ambassadors for Christ. Jesus' representative, where we live, where we work, within our families. And the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we're being watched by those around us, whether we realize it or not. And if you were here last night, I had to email Paul on this one, because it's eight. Was that... What was that figure? Paul shared some findings from a survey of Christians and non-Christians carried out by Hope. And one finding that surprised me, I was one that when he said, who thinks the answer to this is under 50%? And that was me. Because the question was, how many people yet to know Jesus do you think know a Christian? So think about it. All the people in Northampton, and the estimate is there's about 5% of 220, 230,000 people who are practicing Christians. Yeah? How many non-believers have a Christ, one of those 5% in their circle of acquaintances or friends? And I said, way under 50%. And it's 67%. And that shocked me. In a negative way, put it this way, there's an awful lot of non-believers watching what I do, listening to what I say, how I conduct myself. In a positive way, think of the opportunities to share the message of what I believe in with all of those people who you brush along with every, every day. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus encourages us to let our light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And one of the things I love about Vineyard is we all get to play. There might be other organizations or churches, you know, where doing certain things is restricted to certain people, but not here in Vineyard. Everybody gets the opportunity to play. We're allowed to minister to one another and our neighbours, whether that's through hospitality, whether it's through prayer, whether it's good deeds, whether it's watching out for each other. We're all allowed and encouraged to show the love of Jesus in our town, neighbourhood, workplace, family. And if you sat there thinking, but Ken, I have no idea what you're talking about or where I could do any of that. Well, see me after. There are gaps on the soup run. Street church was busy last week and we had plenty of helpers, but we were short of food. And there's just two off the top of my head now. There's loads of allotment. Come and volunteer on the allotment. Help out at the hub. There's loads just around the compassion ministries of, of church here. That's without getting into the rotors within church as well. Now at this point, I look around 
And I don't know about you, but often when I sit where you are and listen just like you were listening, my mind often wanders. Anybody's mind wandered? It's similar, similar to if I go to a football match or some public event. I start off watching what's happening. And sometimes, especially if there's not much happening or being said, I'll start watching the crowd or the audience. Do you do that? Or is it only me as an ex-police officer? Because, <laughs> I mean, I do do it because, you know... How many, how many police are there at the football? What are the stewards doing? As I know what they're supposed to be doing is looking after you and me there and sometimes... <laughs> and the same at a public event, whether it's the theatre, you know, who's, who's doing what. Then I turn back to the game and I think I can catch up where I left off. Just like that. And of course, I don't catch up because I've missed whatever was going on on the field. And it did happen to me once at the Cobblers. Um, I know the guy who's the safety officer there, and I'd spotted him. Oh, I wonder what he's doing. And they scored a goal. <laughs> and I never did see who scored it. But you kid yourself on. You know, I'm up with play. I'm up with what's being said. And you've come back in, and you're engaged. So if you're at that point, and you've just come back in, I want you to listen up now and reflect on what this series has forced me to do. And that is, does my belief in Jesus being the Son of God, who died for my shortcomings and wrongdoings and enables me to experience the completeness of God's love and grace, does all of that make any difference to the way I live my life? And there is a maybe overhackneyed, but well-used question that's occasionally answered. Would there be enough evidence to convict me as a follower of Jesus? And again, if you don't do anything else other than pray for the one person, think on that. Reflect on, would there be enough evidence to convict me as being a follower of Jesus? And if you think there's not then do something about it. Now back to your normal mode of listening and I'll spot who's wandering in and out of the conversation. Speak it. So we have prayed, inviting God to partner with us in our otherwise puny effort to share the good news. Then we had live it, noting that as followers of Jesus we are often being watched. And we probably all know, because we've been in that other position of nobody likes somebody who's up front or puts themselves out there as a follower of Jesus who lives a different life. Nobody likes hypocrites. Now, speaker, there have been times when I've thought talking to somebody about my beliefs, my faith, is really difficult, a bit awkward, and embarrassing. And I've resorted to another well-known phrase, actions speak louder than words, don't they? Yeah? So what they see, what you see is what you get. I don't have to say anything else. And that's fine, but it's not correct biblically. And it's not correct in life, really, because it leaves so much unanswered 
if you do that, just here I am. I'm not going to tell you anything about us or what to do. Just watch us, look at us. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says this in Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now in today's passage at verse 6, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So really what Paul's doing here is encouraging followers of Jesus to preach and to have conversations. We're not all called to be preachers, and some of you might think, Ken, I don't even think you were called. <laughs> but I, I'm asked occasionally to come up, come up front and share. So if not preaching, you know, just daily, daily conversations. And who with? Well, anybody, friends, neighbours, family members are probably some of the most difficult. We all know that because you might get signals of, it's fine for you to do that, but we really don't want to talk about it. All unsaid, of course, but that's often the vibe, isn't it? But people, wherever we are, and that's where we all shudder again, cower, turn away and think or say, but I can't do that. I don't know what to say. And again, I'm speaking to myself here. Anne and I regularly, well, walk the dog every day. We see loads of people over the years. We might even think we know them really well. We don't really know them at all. We know the dogs better. <laughs> and we miss loads of opportunities there to share our faith, what we believe in, even though there might be little opportunities that are presented there. So again, I'm not preaching at, I'm talking with all of us, trying to encourage us. There don't need to be special conversations, just ordinary, everyday conversations. But the challenge for me is simply to be more intentional about using those everyday conversations to try and speak with grace and for that speech to be seasoned with salt. Too often, maybe, you try to be funny or controversial or whatever. I might, make a, I might make a quip or say something that's not full of grace. Anne often cringes or shakes her head when I'm speaking with some people. It's Peter around to embarrass him. I know you find it hard to believe, but son Peter's often said, Dad, you can't say that. You can't say what you've... Oh, I've just said it. <laughs> yeah, but you shouldn't have said it. So I know I need to work at making sure those conversations are full of grace, encouraging, friendly, rather than being rude, critical or destructive, and seasoned with salt. What's that about? And that's being a conversation that encourages good dialogue rather than makes the other person want to get out of, out of the way, exit stage left as soon as they can. So imagine this. Go out of the front door, and if a neighbor pops his head out of the door and says, Hey, Ken, 
Miserable weather today, isn't it? And you're all sat there. Imagine, well, how can that be? Here's my opportunity to talk Jesus. So my response of, wait till you see what the weather's like in hell, <laughs> might, might just be might just be a little bit too much salt. So maybe step back a little bit. Yeah, but Jim, God's good. We need the rain. Farmers will be really pleased. Might be a more appropriate. I mean, hey, that first one might convict somebody. If you're living in Whaley Bridge, it might convict somebody today, I don't know. But you get the gist or the sense of what this seasoned with salt is about. It's not full on, it's just that gentle introduction, or that's what I believe. You know, we really are fortunate. Yes, we have weather, Jim, but next week's going to be sunny, or even later today it could be sunny. A little bit of a more positive note. Now, we, some of us here, one or two of us here have heard this story because it's a real live story of uh, how, how it should encourage each of us because little conversations can make a difference. Some of you might know Erna Baker who comes here. Hands up, who knows Erna? Some of you might not know, but you might know Erna broke her arm a week past Friday, had a little fall at home, broke her arm up here, and uh, was able to get to the phone, phone, wasn't able to move from the kitchen floor, the garage floor where she was fallen. But a neighbor came round four hours later, despite a few phone calls and ambulance, eventually come. Now, what do you talk about when you laid on the floor for four hours? I think it was two neighbors alternating because they were getting bored or fed up, <laughs> in and out. And one of them, Erna shared with a couple of people, I think. Erna has a, a little thing on the wall. I know some of us might think fridge magnets are twee, you know, with like Jesus loves you or whatever it was. But enough to attract the attention of the person who was sitting with her waiting for the ambulance. And it sparked a conversation where they made it clear, well, I'm not religious don't think much of church, and went off about what church, what happens in church, what bad things have happened. And again, you might think, well, that's the sort of conversation where I have no idea how I'm going to respond to that, yeah? You know, when somebody's having a, well, don't talk to me about church. All they want is your money. There's only bad people. It's full of hypocrites, yeah? Think of any others. Think of a few. So how on earth do I find something that's full of grace and seasoned with salt? And you'd love to say, well, I immediately prayed to God and asked him to give us something to say. Erna, now Erna, if she was here, she'd be embarrassed, one, that I'm talking about her. She'd be okay, but she'd be embarrassed. She would certainly say she's not an evangelist, like many of us would say, I'm not an evangelist. But Erna, out of that ordinary exchange 
simply said she couldn't condone some of the things done in church, and she wasn't religious either. And again, many of us will have had that accusation leveled, us, leveled at us for going to church. All she knew was that it was about Jesus and her relationship with the man Jesus. And that was it. Off to hospital. Erna's job's done. Because it's then down to the Holy Spirit, either to do a work in that individual, to get them to think in a different way, or maybe even to have their hearts hardened even more. But it's not our responsibility. Erna took that opportunity out of pretty grim circumstances just to share something about Jesus. So just a little example of talking Jesus is available to all of us. But I've got a couple of prompts which I should use more but agree as a follow-on for that initial conversation. Anybody picked up any of these? You know, the conversation with either where are you off to on a Sunday morning when you leave home and the neighbour spots you going out earlier than anybody else. Off to church, or Monday morning at work. What did you get up to at the weekend? What did you do yesterday? It was a miserable day. It rained. I went to church. Anybody looking blank? Little invitations. Be my guest. You know, I went to church. You should try it sometime. Here you are. Be my guest. And again, some of you, I couldn't do that, but it's pretty easy, isn't it? I have a couple in my wallet. I don't give them out enough. And I'm committed to try harder. Another one is a Gideon. But if you're not a Gideon and you want some testaments, I'll let you have some. Another one, in maybe different circumstances, somebody might really appreciate just the offer of the Word of God it can be all sorts of occasions. Dare I say, funerals, family events, where people are reflecting on Another year's gone by, I'm another year older, what's it all about? And all of that. So just some little prompts. Might even be, have a look at our website. Because people love surfing the web and looking at websites and finding out what's going on. So this next week, coming into land, Paul, pray it that you would be watchful, thankful, and that God would give you opportunities and that you would be able to spot and take just some of those opportunities. Live it. Do that reflection that I encourage you to do, to, to be wise in the way I act towards outsiders. Am I living out my whole life or just part of it as a follower of Jesus? And speak it. Be ready to introduce Jesus into more of your everyday conversations with grace and seasoned with salt. I want to close just, just in prayer, but then get each of us to think, you know, well, out of what I've heard, what is it that I could do over this next week, this coming week? Who is it that I could pray for? Who is it that I know this next week I'm going to have conversations with? 
And Paul in this passage said to the church in Colossus, pray for us because I don't know what to do. Pray to God, pray through the Holy Spirit for opportunities to come up and for God to go ahead of us in some of those conversations.